0: Love Talk Radio.
1: You walk into this room at your own risk, because it leads to the future. Not
2: a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world.
3: It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. It has refinements, technological advances, and a more sophisticated approach to the destruction of human freedom. But like every one of the superstates that preceded it, it has one iron rule. Logic is an enemy and truth is a menace.
4: In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power
5: exists and will persist. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silent, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is credited, no secret is revealed. I appeared
4: before the Congressional Committee to tell what I knew of activities which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. A part of that plan, of course, is to induce the gradual surrender of American sovereignty, piece by piece and step by step, to various international organizations of which the United Nations is the outstanding but far from the only example. The consequent willingness of the American people to allow the steps of appeasement by our government which amount to a piecemeal surrender of the rest of the free world and of the United States itself.
0: We
6: have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world with the rule of law. Not the law of the jungle governs the conduct of nations when we are successful and we will be we have a real chance at this new world order an order in which the credible united nations can use its peacekeeping seeking role to fulfill the promise and vision of the u.n standards.
5: i have planned another closing message but i feel compelled to say what i'm about to say now i risk sounding like a conspiracy theorist. But it's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. On the outskirts of the national capital today, black limousines with darkened windows converged on a hotel where private security guards imposed iron flag control. The limos carries royalty, political power brokers, and industrial titans to a secret meeting that will last all weekend. It's known as the Bilderberg Group. Could their objective be world domination? Money from our treasury is now being spent for this effort. We will have a new currency and a new constitution modeled on the Soviet Union's constitution. Our rights will not be inalienable but they will be granted by government who can also take them away. This is terrorism of the most worst kind, brought on you by our own government. The strongest, freest nation in the history of mankind will be averaged into world communism. There is a very real prospect of a new world order. It is a big idea. A new world order. A new world is emerging. It is a new
7: world order. The new world order is emerging. The new world order can be created. new world order. The new world order. The new world order. The new world order. world order. new world order. new world order. A new world order. And the hope that each of us has. To build a new world order.
4: I think even that, even that does not describe why the world has changed so much and why the world has turned so much towards a new world order and
8: a new kind of civilization.
5: The around the world. They battle to build a new world order of the 21st century. It's about the speech of Europe and a new world order. A new world order. The new world order. New world order. A new international order. order. A new global order. President Obama and Prime Minister Gordon today calling for a new world order.
3: Is this some sort of a new world order which which Gordon Brown kind of alluded to? God is setting up a new world order and his plan include you. in an era of globalization of political interdependence where the world is ever more swiftly opening up and the cliche about a global community becomes an economic political often social reality in this new world
2: in this new world british prime minister brown today declared a new world order is emerging we want to know what you think so our poll question is are you excited that a new world order is emerging, or are you concerned about America's
4: sovereignty?
5: What is this new world all of order all about? It is about a reversal of the American Revolution. The American Revolution was a bunch of farm kids, and kids would get in working in blacksmith shops and working in other jobs, standing up to the greatest army on Earth in places like Lexington and Concord, and saying to the whole world that forever, No matter what happens, we Americans will decide here and decide for ourselves our own destiny. The New World Order is the reversal, the overturning of that revolution. That's what the end goal is. America is a rich province, part of their New World Order. But I give you my word. If ever I stand up on that east wing of the Capitol and take my oath as President of the United States, when my hand goes up their new world order comes crashing down
9: in the near future earth is
2: dominated by a powerful world government once free nations are slaves to the will of a tiny elite the dawn of a new dark age is upon mankind countries are a thing of the past every form of independence is under attack with the families and even the individual itself nearing extinction. Close to 80% of the Earth's population has been eliminated. The remnants of a once free humanity are forced to live within highly controlled, compact, prison-like cities. Travel is highly restricted. Superhighways connect the megacities and keep the population from entering into unauthorized zones. No human activity is private. AI supercomputers chronicle and categorize every action. A prison planet dominated by a ruthless gang of control freaks, whose power can never be challenged. This is the vision of the global elite, their goal. A program of total dehumanization, where the science of tyranny is lost. A worldwide control grid designed to ensure the Overlord's monopoly of power forever. Our species will be condemned to this nightmare future unless the masses are awakened to the New World Order Master Plan and mobilized to defeat it. Erected by a secretive group, the Georgia Guidestones are a testament to the elite's plan for a world religion, global laws, with a global court and army to enforce it. And set in stone, it is written that the population never rise above 500 million. In this film, you will learn how our world is truly governed. You will see how highly secretive roundtable groups interlock to form a global intelligence network. This group has been steering planetary affairs for hundreds of years. Now, in the final stage, they prepare for open world government. A gold tyrant throughout history have lusted us.
7: The concept of a new world order has been around for centuries. It's been receiving tremendous play over the last half of the 20th century. Uh, George Bush, the first senior president, George Bush, used it a lot of his speeches and really implies that he really wants to see a order in which we have a universal or a global type of governance in which every human being on planet Earth is ultimately responsible for policies that are being formulated at the international level. It is a big idea, a new world order. It's really always the same. You go back throughout all of history, the Roman Empire, the Soviet Union, Hitler during the Nazism was always saying that it's going to create the utopia for the average person when in fact, history always shows that it does exactly the opposite.
2: Conquest and empire is as old as civilization. Babylon, Egypt, and Greece. They all built empires in an attempt to rule the world. The Roman system at its peak dominated the known world. Complex governmental systems were developed to control diverse populations. During the period between the 15th and 19th century, new empires emerged and again waged war for supremacy. The nobility, as well as the thriving merchant class, were financed by a handful of private banks. Many of the great money houses would hedge their bets and finance both sides of a war. Sophisticated intelligence-gathering networks gave the financiers a clear edge over the governments they were slowly gaining control of. On the 18th of June, 1815, agents of the British arm of the Rothschild family looked on as Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte fought desperately to save his army from the jaws of a British Prussian pincer attack. A Rothschild agent was able to get the news of Napoleon's defeat at the hands of Lord Wellington to Nathan Rothschild, a full 20 hours before the news reached London. Nathan. The head of the British arm of the Rothschild family put out the rumor to the London Stock Exchange that Napoleon had won the war. Stocks plunged by 98% and Rothschild was then able to buy up the entire British economy for pennies on the pound. When the news of Napoleon's defeat finally arrived, stocks soared. Britain was now the undisputed ruler of Europe, and Rothschild ruled England. The already dominant British Empire grew even more aggressive. Her troops and bureaucracy spread across the globe. The sun never set on Britannia's holdings.
7: The banking cartel funded, in fact, since about 1800, they have funded both sides of almost every war, and of course, they're getting the interest off of the loans that they've given the various governments and the wars that they have actually helped stimulate and create.
2: By 1900, Germany was a rising force and the leader of the industrial revolution.
7: Uh, World War One, for instance, there was absolutely no reason to have World War One, except that it was an ideal opportunity for. The banking cartels and make a pile of money by funding both sides of that particular war.
2: Armaments companies, financed by Rothschild-controlled banks in Germany, France, England, and Austria, bankrolled all the factions. At least 20 million were killed in the war. It was a conflict so terrible for people vowed to never fight again.
1: They dubbed it the war to end all war.
7: question is, why did they want war? Well, first of all, it's money and power. But secondly, they wanted to create the League of Nations. They had this in their plans all along, and as a consequence, Once the war was over, or about to be over, they began to formulate this idea of a League of Nations so this would never ever happen again.
2: Hundreds of years of practice made the British experts at hiding their empire behind puppet governments and councils. In the name of stopping all future conflicts, they proposed that countries would join a League of Nations. Their true intention was for the League to serve as a framework for world government. President Woodrow Wilson, who had spearheaded the establishment of the private Federal Reserve System in the United States in 1913, strongly supported the establishment of the League of Nations.
7: Woodrow Wilson was a very naive president. He was basically a college professor that was grafted into this whole system.
2: The League convened in Paris in 1919, but many nations recognized it as a threat to their sovereignty and refused to join. Frustrated by the U.S. Congress blocking the League of Nations, British intelligence, with the help of the Rockefeller family, set up the Council on Foreign Relations in New York City in 1921. The Council recruited the best and brightest of American life to support the growth of the Anglo-American Empire. The CFR's stated mission is to abolish all nation-states in favor of an all-powerful world government administered by a tiny elite. By 1930, the promoters of world government had split into two interlocking camps. The Fabian Socialists centered in London, and the Fascists, based in Italy and Germany. National Socialism will use its own revolution for establishing a new world order. Adolf Hitler. Supporters of the fascist in the United States and England believed that the military should be used to quickly transform the world into a new world order, while the more sophisticated practitioners of globalism stated that incrementalism was the sure path to world domination. Congressional Medal of Honor winner Major General Smedley Butler went public in 1934, exposing an attempt by the robber barons to launch a military overthrow of the United States. The war hero testified to the McCormick-Dickstein Committee in Congress that some of the most powerful men in America had tried to recruit him to lead a military coup so they could set up national socialism in the United States. I appeared
4: before the Congressional Committee the highest representation of the American people under subpoena to tell what I knew of activities which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men which would be able to take over the functions of government.
2: The fascists had also made deep inroads in England. Edward VIII, King of England, was forced to advocate the throne because of his public support for Hitler. From the build-up to World War II, and during the conflict, the bankers again financed both sides, just as they had done with Napoleon. With the rise and fall of the Third Reich, Europe lay in ruins. Once again, the elite claimed that only global governance could save humanity from certain destruction. And this time, the elite would succeed in setting up their world body. In April of 1945, at the Presidio Naval Base in San Francisco, the United Nations was founded by the victors of World War II. The United Nations complex was then built in New York City on land donated by John D. Rockefeller. Shortly after the elite established the United Nations as their base in the United States, the newly formed World Council quickly began work on the next phase in their plan, the incremental formation of continental superstates. The first step in their trilateral plan was the creation of the European Union. Unifying Europe had been tried many times and was extremely unpopular. Where Napoleon and Hitler had failed to accomplish their goals using force, the globalists would succeed using stealth. The British spearheaded the formation of the Council of Europe on May 5, 1949. The Treaty of London claimed to only establish trade ties between European nations, like NAFTA or GATT in North America. Its true intention was the formation of a European superstate.
4: A part of that plan, of course, is to induce the gradual surrender of American sovereignty, piece by piece and step by step, to various international organizations of which the United Nations is the outstanding but far from the only example. Here are the aims for the United States: one, greatly expanded government spending for every conceivable means of getting rid of ever larger sums of American money as wastefully as possible; two, higher and then much higher taxes; three, an increasingly unbalanced budget despite the higher taxes; four wild inflation of our currency five government controls of prices wages and materials supposedly to combat inflation six greatly increased socialistic controls over every operation of our economy and every activity of our daily lives this is to be accompanied naturally and automatically by a correspondingly huge increase in the size of our bureaucracy and in both the cost and reach of our domestic government. Seven, far more centralization of power in Washington and the practical elimination of our state lines. There is a many faceted drive at work to have our state lines eventually mean no more within the nation than our county lines do now within the states. Eight, the steady advance of federal aid to and control over Our educational system, leading to complete federalization of our public education. Nine, a constant hammering into the American consciousness of the horror of modern warfare, the beauties and the absolute necessity of peace, peace always on communist terms, of course. And ten, the consequent willingness of the American people to allow the steps of appeasement by our government which amount to a piecemeal surrender of the rest of the free world and of the United States itself.
3: 1775 the American Revolutionary War began as the American colonies sought to detach from England and its oppressive monarchy. Though many reasons are cited for the revolution, one in particular sticks out as the prime cause, that King George III of England outlawed the interest-free, independent currency the colonies were producing and using for themselves, in turn forcing them to borrow money from the Central Bank of England at interest, immediately putting the colonies into debt. And, as Benjamin Franklin later wrote, the refusal of King George III to allow the colonies to operate an honest money system which freed the ordinary man from the clutches of the money manipulators was probably the prime cause of the revolution. In 1783, America won its independence from England. However, its battle against the central bank concept and the corrupt greed-filled men associated with it had just begun. So what is a central bank? A central bank is an institution that produces the currency of an entire nation. Based on historical precedent, two specific powers are inherent in central banking practice. The control of interest rates and the control of the money supply or inflation. The central bank does not simply supply a government's economy with money. It loans it to them at interest. Then, through the use of increasing and decreasing the supply of money, the central bank regulates the value of the currency being issued. It is critical to understand that the entire structure of this system can only produce one thing in the long run. Debt. It doesn't take a lot of ingenuity to figure this scam out. For every single dollar produced by the central bank is loaned at interest. That means every single dollar produced is actually the dollar plus a certain percent of debt based on that dollar. And since the central bank has a monopoly of the production of the currency for the entire country and they loan each dollar out with immediate debt attached to it, where does the money to pay for the debt come from? It can only come from the central bank again, which means the central bank has to perpetually increase its money supply to temporarily cover the outstanding debt created, which in turn, since that new money is loaned out at interest as well, creates even more debt. The end result of this system without fail is slavery, for it is impossible for the government and thus the public to ever come out of the self-generating debt. The founding fathers of this country were well aware of this.
10: All right, all right, all right. All right, anybody want to comment on this? Let me just this down here. All right, bam. All right, there we go. Anybody want to comment on it? The Federal Reserve. And this is what people have to understand. You know, I hear all these other podcast shows. I hear, that, you know, the intentions are well, but uh, mean, and people mean well. But the fact of the matter is, is that the sole issue that we're t- attacking here at hand. Is the Federal Reserve, the central bank, the central bank of this world? That is the main problem. You just heard it right there, basically. Just heard it. Both sides of each war, me control of a nation's currency, and I care not who writes the laws. That's what Nathan Rothschild said. Okay, so you know you have the bankers, the they control. Everything, every aspect of society. That's why when they were arguing the other night, last night on the podcast show, or was it Lori show? They're talking about uh, the government policy and everything, money. The government has nothing to do with the the, the monetary policies in this country. It's all the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve controls the monetary policy. The 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 congressmen, senators, president, they have nothing to do with monetary policy. Okay, the Fed controls the monetary, the Fed can shut down the economy tomorrow morning if it wanted to. They could just pull the plug right there, shut it down. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, so they, you're going to start up another currency, how long that will take? You know, so they can shut everything down. They own everything. They own all your homes, because you're not allowed to own a home, because you're an American slave. They own all your vehicles, all your cars, trucks, heavy equipment, whatnot. 'Cause you're not allowed to own those either. You're given a certificate of title, not a origin of title. So you don't own own it. Those titles are in vaults someplace or the owners of the company, these big corporations they got they hold possession of that. Okay. So you don't own it. And when you if you pay off your mortgage in your house on your house, you're giving again, you're not given a warranty deed. So you're a tenant on your own land. You pay rent to the king every single year, property taxes. And if you don't pay after two or three years, you'll foreclose and they'll take it from you. So tell me, is that ownership? No, you rent. You rent, okay? And sometimes you have to pay double rent. You have to have a homeowners association attached to it, and then you got, you know, so, you know, and then you got to pay your property taxes. So, you, you know, you're getting it every which way. So you don't own it. You don't own it. You're, again, deed. So when people say,
11: get off my property,
10: I laugh. It's not your property. You don't own it. You don't own it. That's my land. No, it's not. No, it's not. I hate to break it to you, pal. It's not your land. You don't own it. Um, That's my car. No, it's not. No, it's not. You, you got a certificate of title? No. Okay. So my tax dollars. Man, all these illegal aliens coming in, getting on food stamps, my tax dollars. No, Uh, wrong again. Uh. No, your taxes don't pay for that. They'd break it to you. Okay, your taxes pay for the interest on the money that the Fed lends to the government. That's where your taxes go. And that interest money, then the Fed and central bankers build bridges. They send money to Ukraine and stuff like that. That's where that money comes from. Look it up. Look it up. It's all true. None of your taxes pay for your police departments, your roads, and anything else. None of your tax dollars do. Go to the tax report, the centralized annual financial reports. Every single town and city has them. Take the time to go down there and read it, and it'll tell you exactly where your tax dollars go. And trust me, they don't go to your police department, fire departments, or anything like that. You'll see. It, it, it tells you where the money goes. Look it up. Nobody's ever done it. Nobody does it. But do it. Go down there and look, and you'll see. And you then bring it to the clerk or whatever and say, hey, look all my property taxes. went and paid for the roads or pay, you know, did this and blah, 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 paid for the fire department. That's what it says. It's invested in a bridge in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's there. They'd go down there and lay If they show you the records, sometimes they keep under lock and key. They won't show them to you. But you're supposed to have access to it. Yeah, go there. You look it up. Oh, if you don't believe me, go do it. If you don't believe me, go do it. Okay? The taxes don't pay for anything. So when they buy them, when they talk about legal aliens, that's not the argument that I'm arguing. That's not the argument I want to make. Okay? That's, I don't care if they're on food stamps. I can care less. It has nothing to do with me at all. It does not hurt me. It does not raise prices. It doesn't do anything. Okay? That's already figured out into the plan of the New World Order. Trust me. So when people are on food stamps or people are, are, are on disability or whatever, it's who cares, man? It's not affecting you at all. Trust me. Trust me. It's not. And you don't have to believe me if you don't want to. I don't care. Bottom line is I know the truth. So, and I already said, where you can go find out the truth, so it's up to you. So, when we get into these, that's why when people say, it's just like when you hear them say democracy. You know, democracy, our democracy. We're not a democracy, man. We're not. When you hear somebody say that, either they're saying it just to be well-liked or go with the narrative, or they just don't know. And nine times out of ten, they just don't know. Okay? We're a republic. Right, we're not a democracy. We all know this stuff. We all know this stuff. So I mean, there's no point in in really talking about it because we know it. We at least we should know it. If you don't, then shame on you. Um, you know that's why when when I like I have to unfortunately cash checks and I have to have a checking account. I hate it. I can't stand it. I can't, I cringe when I walk into a bank because I know the crimes that are being committed there. You know? I see the old people walking in with a big smile on their face, holding their little checks. Hi, Brad. <laughs> Thanks for fucking me up the ass. Thanks for screwing me, Brad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because that's what I think when I see them walking into the bank. You know, these old people and everybody smiling, shaking the bank manager's hand. <laughs> how you doing, Steve? <laughs> My buddy pal. You know? Oh, by the way, how much did you fuck me today? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how it is. I mean, you're slaves. You know? That's what they do. That's what these banks do. Fractional reserve banking. Go in there and ask them. How does this bank make its money? Fractional reserve banking? Just ask them. One time I was in Wachovia before they, before they got hijacked and from, from their crimes got exposed. I was in there. I said uh, something about fractional reserve banking. I said I was talking to someone, one of the customers. She goes, sir, you will not talk about that in this branch, sir. She must have been one of the board of directors or something, you know, because they don't like to hear that because fractional reserve banking means they could take your money that you deposit into your stupid little account there, and uh, recreate it ninety, hundred times over and lend it out at interest to other people, making money off of your money, your paycheck, your paycheck that you put into the safekeeping There, they're taking it, taking it, and lending and get it out. Why can't you do that? This would be a crime. You go to jail. You don't have permission from the Federal Reserve. You don't have permission from the IRS, their they're henchmen, that come get you. They'll come get you, too. Oh, you know? yeah. You can hide in the Amazon jungle, and they'll find you. Trust me. All right? So this is the name of the game, folks. And until we wake up, and until we – I don't care about Biden's laptop. I don't care about all the other crap because it doesn't make a difference. None of it matters until you cut the head of the snake off, until you go after the root of the problem. And the Fed, and the Fed, and the Fed, remember? I remember 2008, the big rallies that we had all around the country. I think it was like 55 cities, and the Fed rallies. Anybody remember those? I was there. And the Fed, uh, we had one. And the Fed, and the Fed, you know, most people didn't know what the hell we were talking about back then. I had a T-shirt that said, arrest the banksters. Yeah, and the Fed. People used to laugh. <laughs> they thought it was a con- you know, cartoon or something. <laughs> they had no idea it was their bank I was talking about. You
7: know,
10: or another shirt, there's poison in your tap water, you know. they you look at you, who you guys crazy Do did know what you're talking about. Now look, huh? Yeah, I'm not so crazy, am I, you assholes, huh? Yeah, what What was it, 60% of the American people's uh, tap water is poisoned? Yeah, not so funny anymore, is it? You jerks, you zombies, you sheeple, you lemmings. Yeah, that's what you are. So, you know, I mean... I got no time for it anymore. I just, you just get tired of it and sick of it, you know? I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's just, oh, you know, like with the mask thing, you know, the, the sheep are wearing a mask, you know, I, I I only wore it a couple times when I was out in public, you know, with somebody I knew or something, you know, I didn't, I couldn't stand wearing it, man. If I walked into a place of business, you know, I had to go in there and get something and I had to put it on. I didn't want to put it on it, You know, I mean, I had an argument. I argued many times with people. I had the cops called on me and everything. You know? But, you know, it's just, it's, 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 and what are you going to do? I'm one guy standing against 200. You know, what am I going to do? I mean, it's just, it's, what can you do? If the people just are going to do it, what are you going to do? You're going to have to go to the guillotine, get your head chopped off. I mean, or just fight until you can't fight no more. You're They're going to get you. They're going to get you. I mean, we don't have the numbers. They'll overrun us. We, they will overrun us. You know, the, the, the zombies. Like, you ever see these shows out there with these zombie shows? When they're all running after, you know, the people or whatever. You know, they got a bunch of those movies out now, with zombies. You know, Hollywood knows what's going on. They know what time it is. But, you know, what's going to be happening. Have you ever see them when they're running, they overrun you? They're going to bite you and they're biting you and everything, you know? That's what it's going to be like. That's really what it's like now. Go to freaking one of the stores on uh what's it that, that Black Friday or whatever? <gasps> that's racist. I forgot. Sorry, sorry. That's racist. Um, what do they call it now? I forget, They got another name for it now. The Friday thing, right? Where after Thanksgiving, where they all stampede each other for ninety nine dollar laptops, you know, and stuff like that. So uh, they yeah, man, it's crazy. So anybody want to chip in here tonight? And uh, you know, we're coming over from the other show. You know, uh, the American Statesman there. You guys asked me 90 times if I was doing a show, and then I don't see none of you over here. I see a few other people in the queue uh, here, but, you know, I'm not, I don't see none of you, uh, none of these other people now. You asked me, you want to do a show, I program a show, and I was here, you, you don't want to call in. Um, <clears throat> let me see, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm a little sore, man. Oh, first time i back to the gym, man, since I stretched out my arm and I pulled a muscle from the rotator cuff there. Now I'm sore. Uh oh. um. What is it? I got one from the Black Friday or whatever. I had had a little clip I used to play for that. It was about two minutes long. Where the hell was it? I might have gotten rid of it, man. It was a good one for Black Friday. You know, Black Friday, where they go around, you know, killing each other, stampeding each other. So Thanksgiving, it's good to talk about that because that's coming up here in about, what, uh, next month, Thanksgiving. You know, you got to be thankful. Thankful for being a slave. You know, the, the fake story there where they all sit down and eat turkey the Indians, and the pilgrims, you know. <laughs> it's hilarious. Here it is right here, Madness Lost, two minutes long, here it is.
9: You're watching The Madness of a Lost Society. November 26, 2010, Black Friday revealed yet further evidence of the complete madness of the populace of our lost society.
5: In you didn't hear, the leaders of China and Russia. China and Russia said that they
12: are renouncing the dollar.
7: The best way to think of it is a ticking time bomb. At some stage, the dollar will fall sharply. Now, you might be saying, Neil... What the heck does this mean to me?
9: As the dollar loses status as the world's reserve currency, as mystery missiles launch just off our shores, as North and South Korea take the world to the brink of war, as the TSA violates all measure of liberty and constitutional rights, and as the U.S. military itself prepares for the coming total economic collapse and breakdown of civil order, this is what Americans care about. Wanton, lustful commercialism, acting like animals fighting over trinkets made by human beings for slave wages. As you watch this horrific video, do you think any of these people own a single ounce of physical precious metal? Any gold? Any silver? Do you think that even one of them understands what the Federal Reserve is, or that the Fed is spending them into oblivion in economic slavery? Do you think even one among them has made any preparations at all for the day when there is no food on grocery store shelves? And do you think the morally bankrupt executives at Target or Walmart even care? This is what we've become. A decadent, mindless culture who by virtue of this complete and willful ignorance are now officially complicit in the crimes being perpetrated against us. Do you think these people who behave like animals, literally trampling each other over $198 laptops and $10 toasters, will even pause for a moment to consider their actions before they riot and burn entire cities when the days of hyperinflation finally arrive? When the grocery stores are bare, when they are truly desperate, this, my friends, is what a dumbed-down, morally bankrupt, completely broken society looks like. And this is how it behaves. No outrage over the bankers raping them. No outrage over their gutted industry. No outrage over their plundered dollar. Just blind, wanton stupidity. Just bread and circuses. The elite are social Darwinists and they believe what they can get away with is fair game as long as we allow it. This is social engineering and they've done it to us by design. They've turned us into animals that they can corral. We are no longer citizens in a republic safeguarded by our elected representatives. We are consumers feeding at a corporate trough managed by officials.
8: Will you tell the American people to whom you lent 2.2 trillion of their
3: dollars Hundreds and hundreds of banks, any bank or, that has uh, access to the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve's discount... We no.
9: If this is America, who will stop them? Our entire system is corrupt and needs to be dismantled and begun anew. But from what base? If what happened on Friday across America is any indication of the condition of the American populace, then our very foundations are built of sand. May God forgive us for what we've become and for what we've allowed to happen to our nation. And may those of us with the courage and sense to do it renounce this behavior and the monstrous marketing ploy that is Black Friday in its entirety. This, my friends, is not us. Black Friday! We are the Republic. We are the informed. We are the proactive ones. And it is our job to lift up those who are lost. And saving our Republic is a full-time job. May God bless the Republic.
10: There you have it. Yeah. Black Friday remember I said that? <laughs> remember that that scream
0: Friday
10: Yeah. That's what it is, man. You know? That basically says it all right there. No anger. Nobody cares. You know, just keep going just doing it, what's the thing, you know? That's how it is. I just can't believe it. I mean, everyone likes being slaves. You know, I was like like watching those World War Two films or whatever. Remember, like when uh like uh when the uh they they captured uh, Hitler's army there in Stalingrad. 90,000 of them, they're marching down the road. And I'm thinking, see, me, I'm one of those people, right? If they're marching me down the road, I'd be telling the guy next to me, be like, look, 90,000 of us, man, look. Let's charge the guards, man. We're cutting through the city, man. We can all split through the city. You know, when they're cutting through the city, marching them up to the gulags there. You know, I've been, I've been passing out, you know I mean? There's only, like, like one guard every 50 yards, you know I mean? They got, you know, some sharpshooters and everything, but 90,000, man. Okay. A lot of us are going to die, but a lot of us are going to get away. But if we march to the gulag, all of us are going to die. None of us are going to get away. You know what I mean? So what do you do? I would say fight, right? Kind of like today when the situation we're in now, right? Kind of like fight, you know, stop the bullshit, you know? I mean, because where are they leading us to? Slavery. You know, where are they leading us to? Death. Where are they leading us to? Brokenness. We're broke. You know? So get up and fight. Change it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Come on. It's not that hard. Everybody was on the podcast show last night. At the end of the show, I said, yeah, I I filled out 750 envelopes while the show was on, when I was listening to it. You know? Because I'm running for public office. I'm all constantly doing something.
0: You know? Constantly. Talking to people. Yelling at people. Fighting with people. Doing something.
10: Come on, man. What the hell? I can't even get people to sign a freaking petition on Facebook now. They're so scared.
1: I'm going to stay with that guy, man.
10: <laughs> I don't want to get picked up. I don't want to get, you know. Look, man. You know, you, you, you see your neighbor to your right getting hauled off. Go help him out. Don't let them get taken away. See what's going on first. Find out. Help them out. Because then the next day your neighbor to your left getting taken away and you think you're all safe. Then the guy across the street, and now they're coming for you, and guess
0: what? There's nobody left to help you. Come on, man. Stop it. Stop the bullcrap. crap. Don't be afraid. And if you're coming onto these shows and platforms to crack jokes and act stupid, go ahead. Do it.
10: You're only hurting yourself. You're you're only feeding the new world order that attacks and feeds on you. That's all. That's all you're doing. Be sane to yourself, really. And I know most of you got a conscience out there, so you got to be thinking about it. The ones of you that call in and act stupid, like that one that called into the show the other night there, that, that uh, wow, wow, started talking all stupid or whatever. What the hell was that? Ashley one or whatever. Her real name's uh, Shannon. You know, got to hide her name. See, I don't hide my name, my real name, and everything. I put my name up there. No, a no screen name, no stupid crap. I don't need to hide hide nothing. Why do I gotta hide? Why do I gotta lie to you for? If I'm gonna lie to you about who my name is, am I even gonna trust who I say after that for? You know, this is my real name. Who I am. I ain't gotta hide because people say, "Why are you using your real name?" Because I'm not afraid. You know, what you want me to lie to you? What the hell would what? I want to go around every day lying to people? You know, and getting caught and everything. Because when you tell a lie, you, you know, you're going to have to cover it up because you're going to get caught eventually in something
0: to knock it off.
10: Don't be stupid. You trolls, don't be stupid. Your jackasses, your moonbats, don't be afraid of you. All Press the number one. Anybody who wants to talk here, you got something you want to talk about? <laughs> here it is. Platform's yours. I put this show on for you guys. You know, I mean, it's up to you. Um, you guys asked me if I wanted to do a show. I was going to bring you on here. Uh, well, I mean, there's one thing I can do here. Um, the Money Masters. There you go. We talk about the Federal Reserve a lot, right? So let's let's talk about the Federal Reserve here for a few minutes. How about that? Let's see here. Bring this one. It's the best documentary that explains the Federal
1: Reserve. America today? Why are we over our heads in debt? Why can't the politicians bring debt under control? Why are so many people, often both parents now, working at low-paying, dead-end jobs, and still making do with less? What's the future of the American economy and way of life? Why does the government tell us inflation is low when the buying power of our paycheck is declining at an alarming rate? Only a generation ago, bread was a quarter. And you could get a new car for 1995. The problem is that
6: since 1864, we've had a debt-based banking system. All our money is based on government debt. We cannot extinguish government debt without extinguishing our money supply. That's why talk of paying off the national debt without reforming our banking system is an impossibility. That's why the solution does not lie in discussing the size of the national debt rather it lies in reforming our banking system this is the federal reserve headquarters in washington it sits on this very impressive address right on constitution avenue right across from the lincoln memorial but is it federal is it really part of the united states government well what we're about to show you is that there's nothing federal about the federal reserve and there are no reserves the name is a deception created back before the Federal Reserve Act was passed in 1913 to make Americans think that America's central bank operates in the public interest. The truth is that the Federal Reserve is a private bank owned by private stockholders and run purely
5: for their private profit. That's exactly correct. The uh,
9: is a privately owned for-profit corporation
5: which, uh, again, has no reserves, at least no reserves available to back up the Federal Reserve notes, which is our
8: common currency. Oh, absolutely. The Federal Reserve is neither federal and has doubtful reserves. It's a private bank that is owned by member banks, and uh, it was chartered uh, under the guise of deceit by an act of Congress in 1913.
6: If there's still any doubt whether the Federal Reserve is a part of the U.S. government, check your local telephone book in most cities it is not listed in the blue government pages it is listed in the business white pages right next to federal express another private company but more directly u.s. courts have ruled time and time again that the fed is a private corporation why can't congress do something about the fed most members of congress just don't understand the system and the few who do are afraid to speak up for example initially a veteran congressman from chicago asked us if he could be interviewed for this video however both times our camera crew arrived at his office to do the interview this was all we were able to film the congressman never appeared and eventually decided he no longer wanted to participate but a few others in congress have been bolder over the years here are three quick examples In 1923, Representative Charles A. Lindbergh, a Republican from Minnesota and father of the famed aviator Lucky Lindy, put it this way, the financial system has been turned over to the Federal Reserve Board. That board administers the finance system by authority of a purely profiteering group. The system is private, conducted for the sole purpose of obtaining the greatest possible profits from the use of other people's money. One of the most outspoken critics in Congress of the Fed was the former chairman of the House Banking and Currency Committee during the Great Depression years. Lewis T. McFadden, Republican of Pennsylvania, said in 1932, we have in this country one of the most corrupt institutions the world has ever known, I refer to the Federal Reserve Board." This evil institution has impoverished the people of the United States and has practically bankrupted our government. It has done this through the corrupt practices of the moneyed vultures who control it. Senator Barry Goldwater was a frequent critic of the Fed. Most Americans have no real understanding of the operation of the international moneylenders. The accounts of the Federal Reserve System have never been audited it operates outside the control of Congress and manipulates the credit of the United States
8: the federal reserve really even though it is not part of the federal government it is more powerful than the federal government it's more powerful than the cousins of Congress and the courts Now, a lot of people challenge me on that but let me prove my case the federal reserve determines what the average person's car payment is going to be what their house payment is going to be and whether they have a job or not. And I submit to you that that's total control. And the Federal Reserve is the largest single creditor of the United States government. What does Proverbs tell us? The borrower is servant to the lender.
6: What one has to understand is that from the day the Constitution was adopted, right up to today, the folks who profit from privately owned central banks, as Madison called them, the money changers, have fought a running battle for control over who gets to print America's money. Why is who prints the money so important? Think of money as just another commodity. If you have a monopoly on a commodity that everyone needs, everyone wants, and nobody has enough of, there are lots of ways to make a profit and also exert tremendous political influence. That's what this battle is all about. Throughout the history of the United States, The money power has gone back and forth between Congress and some sort of privately owned central bank. The founding fathers knew the evils of a privately owned central bank. First of all, they had seen how the privately owned British central bank, the Bank of England, had run up the British national debt to such an extent that Parliament had been forced to place unfair taxes on the American colonies. In fact, as we'll see later, Ben Franklin claimed that this was the real cause of the American Revolution. Most of the founding fathers realized the potential dangers of banking and feared bankers' accumulation of wealth and power. Jefferson put it this way,
1: I sincerely believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs.
6: That succinct statement of Jefferson is, in fact, the solution to all our economic problems today. It bears repeating. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs. James Madison, the main author of the Constitution, agreed. Interestingly, he called those behind the central bank scheme money changers. Madison strongly
1: criticized their actions. History records that the money changers have used every form of abuse, intrigue, deceit, and violent means possible to maintain their control over governments by controlling money and its issuance. The battle
6: over who gets to issue our money has been the pivotal issue throughout the history of the United States. Wars are fought over it, depressions are caused to acquire it, yet after World War One. This battle was rarely mentioned in newspapers or history books. Why? By World War I, the money changers, with their dominant wealth, had seized control of most of the nation's press. Throughout U.S. history, this battle over who gets the power to issue our money has raged. In fact, it's changed hands back and forth eight times since 1764. Yet this fact has virtually vanished from public view for over three generations behind a smokescreen emitted by Fed cheerleaders in the media. Until we stop talking about deficits and government spending and start talking about who controls how much money we have, it's all just a big shell game, a complete and utter deception. It won't matter if you pass an ironclad amendment to the Constitution mandating a balanced budget. Our situation is only going to get worse until we root out the cause at its source. What's the solution for our national problem? First of all, education. That's what this video presentation is all about. But secondly, we must act. We must take back the power to issue our own money. Issuing our own money is not a radical solution. I want to stress that. It's the same solution used at different points in U.S. history by men like Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Jackson, Martin Van Buren, and Abraham Lincoln. So, to sum it up, in 1913, Congress gave an independent central bank, deceptively named the Federal Reserve, a monopoly over issuing America's money, and the debt generated by this quasi-private corporation, is what is killing the american economy though so the federal reserve is now the most powerful central bank in the world it was not the first so where did this idea come from to really understand the magnitude of the problem we have to travel back to europe just who are these money changers james madison spoke of in the bible two thousand years ago Jesus drove the money changers from the temple. It was the only time Jesus used force during his ministry. What were money changers doing in the temple? When Jews came to Jerusalem to pay their temple tax, they could only pay it with a special coin, the half shekel of the sanctuary. This was a half ounce of pure silver about this size. It was the only coin around at that time, which was pure silver and of assured weight, without the image of a pagan emperor. Therefore, to Jews, the half shekel was the only coin acceptable to God. But these coins were not plentiful. The money changers had cornered the market on them. Then they raised the price, just like any other commodity, to whatever the market would bear. In other words, money changers were making exorbitant profits because they held a virtual monopoly on money. The Jews had to pay whatever they demanded. To Jesus, this totally violated the sanctity of God's house. But the money-changing scam did not originate in Jesus' day. 200 years before Christ, Rome was having trouble with money changers. Two early Roman emperors had tried to diminish the power of the money changers by reforming usury laws and limiting land ownership to 500 acres. They were both assassinated. In 48 B.C., Julius Caesar took back the power to coin money from the money changers and minted coins for the benefit of all. With this new, plentiful supply of money, he built great public works projects. By making money plentiful, Caesar won the love of the common man, but the money changers hated him. Some believe. This was an important factor in Caesar's assassination. One thing is for sure, with the death of Caesar came the demise of plentiful money in Rome. Taxes increased, as did corruption. Just as in the case of America today, usury and debased coin became the rule. Eventually, the Roman money supply was reduced by 90%. As a result, the common people lost their lands and their homes, just as is about to happen soon in America. With the demise of plentiful money, the masses lost confidence in the Roman government and refused to support it. Rome plunged into the gloom of the Dark Ages. A thousand years after the death of Christ, money changers, those who loan out and manipulate the quantity of money, were active in medieval England. In fact, they were so active that acting together, they could manipulate the entire English economy. These were not bankers per se. The money changers generally were the goldsmiths. They were the first bankers because they started keeping other people's gold for safekeeping in their vaults. The first paper money was merely a receipt for gold left at the goldsmith. Paper money caught on because it was more convenient than carrying around a lot of heavy gold and silver coins. Eventually, goldsmiths noticed that only a small fraction of the depositors ever came in and demanded their gold at any one time goldsmiths started cheating on the system they discovered that they could print more money than they had gold and usually no one would be the wiser then they could loan out this extra money and collect interest on it this was the birth of fractional reserve banking that is loaning out Many times more money than you have assets on deposit. So, if a thousand dollars in gold were deposited with them, they could loan out about ten thousand dollars in paper money and draw interest payments on it, and no one would ever discover the deception. This means goldsmiths gradually accumulated more and more wealth and used this wealth to accumulate more and more gold. Today, this practice of loaning out more money than there are reserves is known as fractional reserve banking. Every bank in the United States is allowed to loan out at least 10 times more money than they actually have. That's why they get rich on charging, let's say, 8% interest. It's not really 8% per year, which is their income. It's 80%. That's why bank buildings are always the largest in town. But does that mean that all interest or all banking should be illegal? Hardly. In the Middle Ages, canon law, the law of the Catholic Church, forbade charging interest on loans. This concept followed the teachings of Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas. They taught that the purpose of money was to serve the members of society to facilitate the exchange of goods needed to lead a virtuous life. Interest, in their belief, hindered this purpose by putting an unnecessary burden on the use of money. In other words, interest was contrary to reason and justice. Reflecting church law in the Middle Ages, Europe forbade charging interest on loans and made it a crime called usury. As commerce grew and therefore opportunities for investment arose in the late Middle Ages, it came to be recognized that to loan money had a cost for the lender, both in risk and in lost opportunity. So some charges were allowed, but not interest per se. But all moralists, no matter what religion, condemn fraud, oppression of the poor, and injustice is clearly immoral. As we will see, fractional reserve lending is rooted in a fraud, results in widespread poverty, and reduces the value of everyone else's money. The ancient goldsmiths discovered that extra profits could be made by rowing the economy between easy money and tight money. When they made money easier to borrow, then the amount of money in circulation expanded. Money was plentiful. People took out more loans to expand their businesses. But then the money changes would tighten the money supply. They would make loans more difficult to get. What would happen? Just what happens today. A certain percentage of people could not repay their previous loans and could not take out new loans to pay the old ones. Therefore, they went bankrupt and had to sell their assets to the goldsmiths for pennies on the dollar. The same thing is still going on today, only today we call this rowing of the economy up and down the business cycle. Like Julius Caesar, King Henry I of England finally resolved to take the money power away from the goldsmiths about 1100 A.D. Henry could have used anything as money, seashells, feathers, or even yak dung, as is often done in remote Tibetan provinces. But he invented one of the most unusual money systems in history. It was called the tally stick system. Here I have one of the few surviving examples of this form of British money, which lasted 726 years until 1826, a tally stick. The tally system was adopted to avoid the monetary manipulation of the goldsmiths. Tally sticks were money fabricated out of sticks of polished wood. Notches were cut along one edge of the stick to indicate the denomination. Then the stick was split lengthwise through the notches so that both pieces uh, still had a record of the notches. The king kept one half to protect against counterfeiting. Then he would spend the other half into the economy and they would circulate as money. This particular tally stick is huge. It represented 25,000 pounds. One of the original stockholders in the Bank of England purchased his original shares With this stick. In other words, he bought shares in the world's richest and most powerful corporation with a stick of wood. It's ironic that after its formation in 1694, the Bank of England attacked the tally stick system because it was money outside the power of the money changers, just as King Henry had wanted it to be. Why do people accept sticks of wood for money? That's a great question. Throughout history, people traded anything they thought had value and used as money. You see, the secret is that money is only what people agree on to use as money. What's our paper money today? It's really just paper. But here's the trick. King Henry ordered that tally sticks had to be used to pay the king's taxes. This built-in demand for tally sticks immediately made them circulate and be accepted as money. And they worked well. In fact, no other form of money has worked so well for so long as tally sticks. Keep in mind, the British Empire was built under the tally stick system. The tally stick system succeeded despite the fact that the money changers constantly attacked it by offering the metal coin system as competition. In other words, metal coins never went completely out of circulation, but tally sticks hung on because they were good for the payment of taxes. Finally, in the 1500s, King Henry VIII relaxed the laws concerning usury, and the money changers wasted no time reasserting themselves. They quickly made their gold and silver money plentiful for a few decades. But when Queen Mary took the throne and tightened the usury laws again, the money changers renewed the hoarding of gold and silver coins forcing the economy to plummet. When Queen Mary's sister, Queen Elizabeth I, took the throne, she was determined to regain control over English money. Her solution was to issue gold and silver coins from the public treasury and take the control over the money supply away from the money changers. Although control over money was not the only cause of the English Revolution in 1642, religious differences fueled the conflict, Monetary policy played a major role. Financed by the money changers, Oliver Cromwell finally overthrew King Charles, purged the parliament, and put the king to death. The money changers were immediately allowed to consolidate their financial power. The result was that for the next 50 years, the money changers plunged Great Britain into a series of costly wars. They took over a square mile of property in the center of London, known as the City of London. This area today is still known as one of the three predominant financial centers of the world. Conflicts with the Stuart Kings led the money changers in England to combine with those in the Netherlands to finance the invasion of William of Orange, who overthrew the Stuarts in 1688 and took the English throne. By the end of the 1600s, England was in financial ruin. Fifty years of more or less continuous wars with France and Holland had exhausted her. Frantic government officials met with the money changers to beg for the loans necessary to pursue their political purposes. The price was high. A government-sanctioned, privately-owned bank which could issue money created out of nothing. It was to be the modern world's first privately owned central bank, the Bank of England. Although it was deceptively called the Bank of England to make the general population think it was part of the government, it was not. Like any other private corporation, the Bank of England sold shares to get started. The investors, whose names were never revealed, were supposed to put up one and a quarter million British pounds in gold coin to buy their shares in the bank but only seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds was ever received despite that the bank was duly chartered in sixteen ninety four and started out in the business of loaning out several times the money it supposedly had in reserves, all at interest in exchange the new bank would loan british politicians as much of the new currency as they wanted as long as they secured the debt by direct taxation of the British people. So legalization of the Bank of England amounted to nothing less than legal counterfeiting of a national currency for private gain. Unfortunately, nearly every nation now has a privately controlled central bank using the Bank of England as the basic model. Such is the power of these central banks that they soon take total control over a nation's economy. It soon amounts to nothing but a plutocracy ruled by the rich. It would be like putting control of the army in the hands of the mafia. The danger of tyranny would be extreme. Yes, we need central banks. No, we do not need them in private hands. The central bank scam is really a hidden tax. The nation sells bonds to the central bank to pay for things it does not have the political will to raise taxes to pay for. But the bonds are purchased with money the central bank creates out of nothing. More money in circulation makes your money worth less. The government gets as much money as it needs, and the people pay for it in inflation. The beauty of the plan is that not one person in a thousand can figure it out because it's usually hidden behind complex sounding economic gibberish with the formation of the bank of england the nation was soon awash in money prices throughout the country doubled massive loans were granted for just about any wild scheme one venture proposed to drain the red sea to recover gold supposedly lost when the egyptian army drowned pursuing moses and the israelites by sixteen ninety eight government debt grew from the initial one and a quarter million pounds to sixteen million pounds naturally taxes were increased and then increased again to pay for all of this with the British money supply firmly in their grip the British economy began a wild roller coaster series of booms and depressions exactly the sort of thing a central bank claims it is determined to prevent There are two things which I think are intrinsic, not just to the Bank of England, but to central banking generally. The first is an involvement in the
4: formulation of monetary policy with the specific objective
6: of achieving monetary stability. However, since the Bank of England took control, the British pound has rarely been stable. Now let's take a look at the role of the Rothschild family, the family said to be the wealthiest in the world. This is Frankfurt, Germany. Fifty years after the Bank of England opened its doors, a goldsmith named Amschel Moses Bauer opened a coin shop, a counting house, in
9: 1743.
6: And over the door he placed a sign depicting a Roman eagle on a red shield. The shop became known as the Red Shield Firm, or in German, Rothschild. When his son, Amschel Meyer Bauer, inherited the business, he decided to change his name to Rothschild. Amschel soon learned that loaning money to governments and kings was more profitable than loaning to private individuals. Not only were the loans bigger, but they were secured by the nation's taxes. Mayor Rothschild had five sons. He trained them all in the skills of money creation then sent them out to the major capitals of Europe to open branch offices of the family banking business. His first son, Amschel Mayer, stayed in Frankfurt to mine the hometown bank. His second son, Solomon, was sent to Vienna. His third son, Nathan, was clearly the most clever. He was sent to London at age 21 in 1798, a 100 years after the founding of the Bank of England. His fourth son, Carl, went to Naples, and his fifth son, Jacob, went to Paris. In 1785, Mayor Amschel moved his entire family to this larger house, a five-story dwelling he shared with the Schiff family. This house was known as the Green Shield. The Rothschilds and the Schiffs would play a central role in the rest of European financial history and in that of the united states the rothschilds broke into dealings with european royalty here at william's hall the palace of the wealthiest man in germany in fact the wealthiest monarch in all europe prince william of hesse cassel at first the rothschilds were only helping william speculate in precious coins but when napoleon chased prince william into exile he sent 550,000 pounds, a gigantic sum at that time, to Nathan Rothschild in London with instructions for him to buy consoles, British government bonds, also called government stock. But Rothschild used the money for his own purposes. With Napoleon on the loose, the opportunities of wartime investments were nearly limitless. William returned here sometime prior to the Battle of Waterloo in 1815 he summoned Rothschild and demanded his money back the Rothschilds returned Williams money with the interest the British consuls would have paid him had the investment actually been made but the Rothschilds kept all the past profits they had made using Williams money Nathan Rothschild later bragged that in the 17 years he'd been in England He'd increased his original 20,000-pound stake given to him by his father by 2,500 times. By cooperating within the family, the Rothschild soon grew unbelievably wealthy. By the mid-1800s, they dominated all European banking and were certainly the wealthiest family in the world. They financed Cecil Rhodes, making it possible for him to establish a monopoly over the diamond and gold fields of South Africa. In America, they financed the Harrimans and railroads, the Vanderbilts and railroads and the press, and Carnegie in the steel industry, among many others. In fact, during World War I, J.P. Morgan was thought to be the richest man in America. But after his death, it was discovered that he was actually only a lieutenant of the Rothschilds. Once Morgan's will was made public, it was discovered that he owned only 19% of J.P. Morgan companies. By 1850, James Rothschild, the heir of the French branch of the family, was said to be worth 600 million French francs, 150 million more than all the other bankers in France put together. He built this mansion called Ferrier, just east of Paris. Wilhelm I, on seeing it, exclaimed, Kings couldn't afford this. It could only belong to a Rothschild. Another 19th century French commentator put it this way, There is but one power in Europe, and that is Rothschild. There is no evidence that their predominant standing in European or world finance has changed. Now let's take a look at the results the Bank of England had
1: produced on the British economy and how that later was the root cause of the American
0: Revolution.
6: By the mid-1700s, the British Empire was nearing its height of power around the world. But Britain had fought four costly wars in Europe since the creation of their privately owned central bank, the Bank of England. The cost had been high. To finance these wars, the British Parliament here had borrowed heavily from the bank. By the mid-1700s, the government's debt here in Britain was 140 million pounds, a staggering sum for those days. Consequently, the British government embarked on a program of trying to raise revenues from their American colonies in order to make their interest payments to the bank. But in America, it was a different story. The scourge of a privately owned central bank had not yet hit. This is Independence Hall in Philadelphia, where the Declaration of Independence and Constitution were signed. In the mid-1700s, pre-revolutionary America was still relatively poor. There was a severe shortage of precious metal coins to trade for goods, so the early colonists were forced to experiment with printing their own homegrown paper money some of these experiments were successful Franklin was a big supporter of the colonies printing their own paper money in 1757 Franklin was sent to London staying for the next 18 years here nearly until the start of the American Revolution during this period the American colonies began to issue their own money called colonial script the endeavor was very successful it provided a reliable medium of exchange, and it also helped to provide a feeling of unity between the colonies. Remember, colonial scrip was just paper money, debt-free money, printed in the public interest, and not backed by gold or silver coin. In other words, it was a totally fiat currency. One day, officials of the Bank of England asked Franklin how he would account for the newfound prosperity of the
1: colonies. Without hesitation, he replied, That is simple. In the colonies we issue our own money. It is called colonial script. We issue it in proper proportion to the demands of trade and industry to make the products pass easily from the producers to the consumers. In this manner, creating for ourselves our own paper money. We control its purchasing power and we have no interest to pay to no one
6: This was just common sense to Franklin, but you can imagine the impact it had on the Bank of England. America had learned the secret of money, and that genie had to be returned to its bottle as soon as possible.
10: There's a good lesson for you on the uh <clears throat> excuse me, Rothschild and the banking. Uh at the end they give a real good to for the whole thing, but uh, at the end I may just play the last five minutes of the end, because it gives the answer of what can be done to fix this problem. How can we get out of the problems we face today? So everyone's got the answers, but this is the only, only answer. Uh, let's see here. Um twenty it's the last um Four minutes of it, so they, they tell you the answer. So let's get to that part
0: here. Be here. Labor
6: in red China, which Terry knew, has heroically documented, is being used to compete with American labor. In other words, money is being consolidated in fewer and fewer hands as never before in the history of this nation or the world. Without reform, the American middle class will soon be extinct leaving only the very rich few and the very many poor, as has already occurred in most of the world. We've been warned of all this by congressmen, presidents, industrialists, and economists down through the years. Religious leaders, too, have seen the danger. About 1898, during the time of William Jennings Bryan, Pope Leo XIII put it this way, On the one side, there is the party which holds the power because it holds the wealth, which has in its grasp all labor and all trade, which manipulates for its own benefit and its own purposes all the sources of supply and which is powerfully represented in the councils of state itself. On the other side, there is the needy and powerless multitude, sore and suffering. Rapacious usury, which, although more than once condemned by the church, is nevertheless under a different form, but with the same guilt, still practiced by avaricious and grasping men, so that a small number of very rich men have been able to lay upon the masses of the poor a yoke little better than slavery itself. More recently, during America's Great Depression, Pope Pius XI spoke of the same problem. In our days, not alone is wealth accumulated, but immense power and despotic economic domination is concentrated in the hands of a few. This power becomes particularly irresistible when exercised by those who, because they hold and control money, are able also to govern credit and determine its allotment. For this reason, supplying, so to speak, the lifeblood to the entire economic body and grasping, as it were, in their hands the very soul of the economy so that no one dare breathe against their will. Educate your friends. Our country needs a solid group who really understand how our money is manipulated and what the solutions really are. Because if a depression comes, there will be those who call themselves conservatives who will come forward advancing solutions framed by the international bankers. Beware of calls to return to a gold standard. Why? Simple. Because never before has so much gold been so concentrated outside of American hands. And never before has so much gold been in the hands of international governmental bodies such as the World Bank and International Monetary Fund. A gold-backed currency usually brings despair to a nation, and to return to it would certainly be a false solution in our case. Remember, we had a gold-backed currency in 1929 and during the first four years of the Great Depression. Likewise, beware of any plans advanced for a regional or world currency. This is the international banker's Trojan horse. Educate your member of Congress. It only takes a few persuasive members to make the others pay attention. Most congressmen just don't understand the system. Some understand it, but are so influenced by bank PAC contributions that they ignore it, not realizing the gravity of their neglect. We hope we've made a valuable contribution to the national debate on monetary reform. It remains for each man to do his duty, consistent with his state in life. May God give us the light to help reform our nation and ourselves, third, to ignore the pivotal role of the mounting debt and gradually fall under the control of the faceless bureaucrats of the World Central Bank. As the worldwide depression worsens and spreads, this will give the World Central Bank the power of economic life and death over these nations. It will decide which nations will be permitted to receive further loans and which nations will starve. Despite all the rhetoric about development and the alleviation of poverty, the result is a steady transfer of wealth from the debtor nations to the money-changers central banks which control the IMF and the World Bank. For example, in 1992, the third world debtor nations which borrowed from the World Bank paid $198 million more to the central banks of the developed nations for World Bank-funded purposes than they received from the World Bank. All this increases their permanent debt in exchange for temporary relief of poverty caused by prior borrowings. Already, these repayments exceed the amount of the new loan. By 1992, Africa's external debt had reached $290 billion, two and a half times greater than in 1980, resulting in skyrocketing infant mortality rates and unemployment, deterioration of schools, housing, and the general health of the people. The entire world faces the immeasurable suffering already destroying the third world and now Japan, all for the benefit of the money changes. As one prominent Brazilian politician put it, the third world war has already started. It is a silent war, not for that reason any less sinister. The war is tearing down Brazil, Latin America, and practically all the third world. Instead of soldiers dying, there are children. It is a war over the third world debt, one which has, as its main weapon, interest, a weapon more deadly than the atom bomb, more shattering than a laser beam. Although it would be absurd to ignore the pivotal role played by influential families such as the Rothschilds, the Warburgs, the Schiffs, the Morgans, and the Rockefellers, in any review of the history of central banking and fractional banking keep in mind by now central banks and the large commercial banks are up to three centuries old and deeply entrenched in the economic life of many nations these banks are no longer dependent on clever individuals such as a Nathan Rothschild years ago the question of ownership was important but no longer for example both the Bank of England and the Bank of France were nationalized after World War II and nothing changed, nothing at all. They endure and continue to grow, now protected by numerous laws, paid politicians and mortgage media, untouched by the changing of generations. Three centuries have given them an aura of respectability. The old school tie is now worn by the sixth Generation's son, who's been raised in a system that he may never question as he is named to serve on the governing boards of countless philanthropic organizations. To focus attention today on individuals or families, or to attempt to sort out the current holders of power, serves little useful purpose and would be a distraction from the cure. The problem is far bigger than that. It is the corrupt, banking system that was and is being used to consolidate vast wealth into fewer and fewer hands that is our current economic problem. Change the names of the main players now and the problem will neither go away nor even miss a beat. Likewise, among the hordes of bureaucrats working in the World Bank, central banks, and international banks, only a tiny fraction have any idea of what's really going on. No doubt they'd be horrified to learn that their work is contributing to the terrible impoverishment and gradual enslavement of mankind to a few incredibly rich plutocrats. So really, there's no use in emphasizing the role of individuals anymore. And the problem even transcends the normal spectrum of political right and left. Both communism and socialism as well as monopoly capitalism, have been used by the money changers. Today, they profit from either side of the new political spectrum. The big government welfare state on the so-called left wing versus the neoconservative laissez-faire capitalists who want big government totally out of their lives on the right wing. Either way, the bankers win. Monetary reform is the most important political issue facing this nation. That clarified, let's proceed to the conclusions in the spirit Lincoln declared, with malice towards none, with charity towards all. At the start of this video, we ask a number of
1: troubling questions. Let's be sure we've answered them. What's going on in America today? Why are we over our heads in debt? Why can't the politicians bring debt under control?
6: Why are we over our heads in debt? Because we're laboring under a debt money system that is designed and controlled by private bankers. Now, some will argue that the Federal Reserve System is a quasi-governmental agency, but the President appoints only two of the seven members of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors Every four years, and he appoints them to 14 year terms far longer than his own. The Senate does confirm those appointments, but the whole truth is that the President wouldn't dare appoint anyone to that board of whom Wall Street does not approve. Of course, this does not preclude the possibility that some honorable men may be appointed to the Board of Governors, but the fact is that the Fed is specifically designed to operate independently of our government, as are nearly all other central banks. Some argue that the Fed promotes monetary stability. We saw the current head of the Bank of England, Eddie George, claim that this was the most important role of a central bank. In fact, the Fed's record of stabilizing the economy shows it to be a miserable failure in this regard. Within the first 25 years of its existence, The Fed caused three major economic downturns, including the Great Depression, and for the last 30 years has shepherded the American economy into a period of unprecedented inflation. Again, this is not some wild conspiracy theory. It's a well-known fact among top economists. As Nobel Prize-winning economist Milton Friedman put it, the stock of money, prices, and output was decidedly more unstable after the establishment of the Federal Reserve System than before. The most dramatic period of instability and output was, of course, the period between the two wars, which includes the severe monetary contractions of 1920-21, 1929-33, and 1937-38. No other 20-year period in American history contains as many as three such severe contractions. This evidence persuades me that at least a third of the price rise during and just after World War I is attributable to the establishment of the Federal Reserve System, and that the severity of each of the major contractions, 1920-21, 1929-33, and 1937-38, is directly attributable to acts of commission and omission by the reserve authorities. Any system which gives so much power and so much discretion to a few men so that mistakes, excusable or not, can have such far-reaching effects is a bad system. It is a bad system to believers in freedom just because it gives a few men such power without any effective check by the body politic. This is the key political argument against an independent central bank. To paraphrase Clemenceau, money is much too serious a matter to be left to the central bankers. We must learn from our history before it is too late. Why can't politicians control the federal debt? Because all our money is created out of debt. Again, it's a debt-money system. Our money is created initially by the purchase of U.S. bonds. The public buys bonds like savings bonds. The banks buy bonds, foreigners buy bonds, and when the Fed wants to create more money in the system, it buys bonds, but pays for them with a simple bookkeeping entry, which it creates out of nothing. Then, this new money created by the Fed is multiplied by a factor of 10 by the banks, thanks to the fractional reserve principle. So, although the banks don't create currency, they do create checkbook money or deposits by making new loans. They even invest some of this created money. In fact, over $1 trillion of this privately created money has been used to purchase U.S. bonds on the open market, which provides the banks with roughly $50 billion in interest, risk-free each year, less the interest they pay to some depositors. In this way, through fractional reserve lending, banks create over 90% of the money and therefore cause over 90% of our inflation. What can we do about all this? Fortunately, there's a way to fix the problem fairly easily, speedily, and without any serious financial problems. We can get our country totally out of debt in one to two years by simply paying off these U.S. bonds with debt-free U.S. notes, just like Lincoln Issues. by itself would create tremendous inflation since our currency is presently multiplied by the fractional reserve banking system. But here's the ingenious solution advanced in part by Milton Friedman to keep the money supply stable and avoid inflation and deflation while the debt is retired. As the Treasury buys up its bonds on the open market with U.S. notes, the reserve requirements of your hometown local bank will be proportionally raised, so the amount of money in circulation remains constant. As those holding bonds are paid off in U.S. notes, they will deposit this money, thus making available the currency then needed by the banks to increase their reserves. Once all the U.S. bonds are replaced with U.S. notes, banks will be at 100% reserve banking instead of the fractional reserve system currently in use. From this point on, the former Fed buildings will only be needed as a central clearinghouse for checks and as vaults for U.S. notes. The Federal Reserve Act will no longer be necessary and could be repealed. Monetary power can be transferred back to the Treasury Department. There would be no further creation or contraction of money by banks. By doing it this way, our national debt can be paid off in a single year or so and fractional reserve banking abolished without national bankruptcy, financial collapse, inflation or deflation, or any significant change in the way the average American goes about his business. To the average person, the primary difference would be that for the first time since the Federal Reserve Act was passed in 1913, taxes would begin to go down. Now, there's a real national blessing for you, rather than for Hamilton's banker friends. Now, let's take a look at these proposals in more detail. Here are the main provisions of a Monetary Reform Act, which needs to be passed by Congress. We've drafted a proposed Monetary Reform Act, which follows at the end of this tape. Of course, variations with the same results would be equally welcome. One. Pay off the debt with debt-free U.S. notes. As Thomas Edison put it, if the U.S. can issue a dollar bond, it can issue a dollar bill. They both rest purely on the faith and credit of the United States government. This amounts to a simple substitution of one type of government obligation for another. One bears interest, the other doesn't. Federal Reserve notes could be used for this as well, but could not be printed after the feds abolished as we proposed so we suggest using U.S. notes instead. 2. Abolish fractional reserve banking. As the debt is paid off, the reserve requirements of all banks and financial institutions would be raised proportionally at the same time to absorb the new U.S. notes, which would be deposited and become the bank's increased reserves. Towards the end of the first year of the transition period, The remaining liabilities of financial institutions would be assumed or acquired by the U.S. government in a one-time operation. In other words, they, too, would eventually be paid off with debt-free U.S. notes in order to keep the total money supply stable. At the end of the first year or so, all of the national debt would be paid, and we could start enjoying the benefits of full reserve banking. The Fed would be obsolete and anachronism. Three, repeal the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 and the National Banking Act of 1864. These acts delegate the money power to a private banking monopoly. They must be repealed and the money power handed back to the Department of Treasury where they were initially under President Abraham Lincoln. No banker or person in any way affiliated with financial institutions should be allowed to regulate banking. Two reforms these acts would serve no useful purpose anyway, since they relate to a fractional reserve banking system. Four, withdraw the U.S. from the IMF, the BIS, and the World Bank. These institutions, like the Federal Reserve, are designed to further centralize the power of the international bankers over the world's economy, and the U.S. must withdraw from them. Their harmless functions, such as Currency exchange can be accomplished either nationally or in new organizations limited to those functions. Such a Monetary Reform Act would guarantee that the amount of money...
10: There you have it, everybody. It's that simple to reform the federal, reform our economy, like I've been shouting for years and I cut in on everybody's podcast showing, no, 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 no. It's this simple, just outlined it, can be done. And all of the problems that we face, all our monetary problems, go away. It's not that hard. It's very simple. Adolf Hitler pretty much did almost about half that plan during the 1930s, and look how Germany panned out with their economy. And, you know, except he was out to do it to create war. We're not out to create war. We're out to to take care of the American people and regain our confidence and our strategic dollar strength across the globe and our trade and our imports and exports. Right now, <clears throat> excuse me, we are owned, our name is owned. We are sold out to the international bankers. We are slaves. The American people are slaves, okay? Simple as that. We are in debt to them. Oh, let's see, anybody, now, uh, anybody hang out there and listen to all that? I know it's, it's hard to listen to that knowledge. I know it's hard. You know, we want to go do other things, but, you know, let's see. Anybody want to press the number one and comment on that? Anybody got any ideas or, or want to talk about these solutions? 657 uh, 383 press the number one, and I'll be happy to bring you on. Uh, and don't forget, we got about 10 minutes left before it goes into the overtime part of the show. So if you hang up, you won't get back in. I know there's a bunch of you on the board here. So, <clears throat> oh, boy. Oh, excuse me, you guys heard those solutions. So those are the only ways to fix the economy. It's the only way. You've got to repeal the Favors. Are you kidding? The gold standard? No, no, doesn't work. You heard him say that. If you were paying attention, doesn't work. We were had the gold standard in 1929. Look where that ended up. So that's what's going. On. That's what's going. On. We don't have to back the currency. It says what? What is going to back the new currency? We don't have to back the, the currencies. The faith and credit of the United States government is going to back the currency. We are we the people, okay? We're U.S. the U.S. notes. We're not going to have Federal Reserve debt-based notes. So that's that's what um, exactly because it's still paper with numbers printed on it, no, nothing backing it. No, no, no. You, you missed the whole. The whole part, you missed the whole thing when he was talking about the fractional reserve banking. We can't recreate, let me see, let me take this caller here. 407, go ahead.
12: Uh, hey Joe, this is uh, American Statesman. Um, crazy show earlier, but we we'll, won't talk about that right now. Um, Ron <laughs> Paul was always one talking about the, the gold standards kind of stuff. So I, I get a little bit confused on what back said. That part kind of mi- gets me mi- mixed up. But regardless of what that is, what what are we gonna? How are we gonna make any of this happen with these nutcases we have in Congress today? Especially with all the gar- garbage that they're doing, they just they keep spending. There's nothing there. They just pull it out of the air and whatever else. I don't. I I don't know. Um, this, and well, I, I apologize. It was going back. It and only forth takes on a few.
10: Calls. It only takes a couple of honest congressmen and senators to do it. You know, yeah, you know, to get this uh, proposed. And Then it takes the people. You know, I mean, these leaders. You're right. They're corrupt, and 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 they're like he said. They're in debt to these uh, bankers, these international bankers. So, that, but if you get some good, honest people in there that propose this stuff, uh, remember Ron Paul. You said it yourself. He, he was the only one. Remember. If he had six yeah. or seven of uh, people that were behind him and walking alongside with him, we wouldn't be in this mess. And then he was preaching it; he was out there, oh, wait, waking people up. Remember, I, I used to talk to people about Ron Paul and the who, what, you know. They didn't know what the hell with the Federal Reserve, what now? But the people don't know, right? They know about Ron Paul and you know, and they understand the Federal Reserve and all that stuff now, pretty much a lot more than what they did. So we get a few people in there that are honest. We can, we can, we can do this, but. You're right in a way. We are pretty far, along gone down the road. I mean, we're they're, they're stampeding us towards World War III right now. These bankers, and uh, we're in trouble. You know that's why we got to put the brakes yeah. on. it. We got to get active. You know, we got to well, work. Well, that's we're what a lot it, of work it bugs
12: here. me. You know, um, the red wave that we were supposed to have last time, but red waves of Kevin McCarthy's don't do us any good. The red wave of the, 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 the that kind of garbage we just don't need. How do we get a red wave of true patriots, the the Matt Gates people in that group, that the ones that truly want to change things. I, I, I don't know what we do to get rid of the scum that's in office because they're, the, they're the ones causing the problem. Like Kevin McCarthy. In all honesty, I'm assuming he's going to get reelected. My guy, Neil Dunn, he's probably going to get reelected. Um, and right now, unfortunately, I can't run against him. It's not a, something I can do at this time. But I, I'm trying to find, how do I get somebody else to run against this guy here, Neil Dunn, in, in my neck of the woods, uh, to try to change the, the culture of that, that institution in there? There's
10: got to be some good people in Florida that will stand up and, and do this. I mean, he'll look at here in North Carolina. Well, let's just use my state, for example. I got Robinson running for governor. Good guy. The same, talks the same way we're talking. All right, He's running for governor. Very popular. So he's probably going to get in there the are saying. All right, I'm running for public office. You know, now you got me in a state house. You know, uh we you know, we got a few other people out there, Senator uh Senator, I forget their names, uh, two other grassroots candidates that uh, you know, so we get, you know, five, six people down at the Capitol, you know, we can get this thing to spread. You know, and, and people will go along with it. We get the people to back us up too. But uh in your state, yeah, we have to get every single state on board. We you know, we don't want no rogue states out there, but then again, <laughs> You know, if we can't, then you know I don't know what to tell you. The state's going to get lost in the shuffle. You know, you heard what he said too. Passing a constitutional amendment, this uh, uh, convention of the state—that's not the answer either. Because you can pass the balanced budget, uh, you can balance the budget all you want. It doesn't matter if you've got the federal reserve, you know, and it doesn't matter. Well,
0: so, well, and, you know and then I mean?
12: on, on that same <clears throat> note, the garbage they're doing with these continued resolutions and uh, the um, omnibus bus, omnibus whatever it is, the um, bills, and they, they cram everything in there when they should be. And I believe, as I was learning recently, it was more about um, the Constitution was set up a, for them to pass the appropriate uh, appropriations bills for the various things, not to go and cram a bunch of garbage in there with all the earmarks for their friends and everything else, and yeah. nobody has time to read them and all the other stuff. So it, if we don't shut down that kind of corruption... That that's the other aspect of it, and that's what and that's
10: what's
12: so, yeah. so annoying with what they're doing yeah. right now, the, right. the crap that uh, McCarthy's doing now.
10: Yeah, you know, and it's like here in North you know, look, running for public office, you don't need hundreds of billions of dollars to run for public office. You know, that's, that's a bunch of crap. You know, all this money they're raising and everything that's ridiculous. You know, uh, a couple thousand dollars if you're running for a local state office or a district, and maybe what to do a governor. You know what? Thirty thousand dollars, if that. Forty. 000. How many? I mean, how much does a freaking couple ad radio ads cost? I mean, you know, or you know, get your rear end up there handing out flyers. How much does it cost to make copies? Buy a copy machine and start printing out copies. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on.
12: Well, it's you know, it, it interesting. <laughs> the money, when it comes to the money, and this was my own experience of running down in Orange County, Florida. Um, I mean. <laughs> I was working on more of a budget of twenty, twenty-five to $30,000 where the guy who was the incumbent who was friends with all the developers has somewhere to the tune of $700,000. And it's not, oh, really, it's not really the advertising. It's what they do internally to their different organizations, how they get their own uh, friends from their own jobs and companies and whatever wow, else yeah. who go out there and do this. Uh, excuse me. And the other thing in the in the case of Orange County, it was a nonpartisan race for the primaries. So you could be elected in a primary. Nobody should ever be elected in a primary, but that's the way they did it there. So there were many games there. And in Orange County, they play games too. They will put certain things on a primary ballot because they know that certain certain people just aren't going to turn out. Like the no party affiliates aren't going to turn out because they don't think they're supposed to vote. And then they yep. get all this other garbage passed. I mean, it's so corrupt, the, the thing. Um, well, I definitely want to put one well, out there.
0: Yeah, no, yeah just real quick. Since,
10: yeah, well, yeah, we need – yeah, go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. Well, no, I am going to say, just think we – The primary, the <laughs> you know, the primary is corrupt, and, and that's yes. the same thing I'm going to have to do here. I, I'm going to register registered as a Republican, but I'm going to have to go against the incumbent, and he's a Republican. Now, if I lose – the Constitution Party is going to be on the ballot, and they already told me that they'll back me, and I'm going to go Constitution Party for where I can be in the general election. You know, But it's the only way because, like okay. you said, it's corrupt.
12: They are. They're absolutely. The other two things that have to take place, We and this is not strictly in reference to elections but in general, we have to get rid of nonprofits. Most people mon, nonprofits are just used to uh, launder money through them. That's all they, they're good for. I mean, in the beginning, I think there was some genuine purpose of some of these, but most of the time, they do nothing but launder money and support whatever else, whatever political agenda they really want to support. And the same is true with political PACs. Uh, we have to change the way political PACs are. PACs, these super PACs and stuff. And, you know, wait a minute. I'm only allowed to give so much money to a candidate, but a super PAC can, can go out there and do all this other crap I know. where they have these millionaires <laughs> and billionaires. Yeah, so – so that garbage – if you cannot vote, if you're not eligible to vote, you should not be allowed to support a political action committee or a candidate. Um, and going back to Citizens um, citizens United, corporations are not entities. They do not have a right in the ballot box. So what they just said out there was oh, no. totally wrong. One of these days – I'm going to write a letter to uh, Alito on this uh, one of these days because uh, uh, corporations should not be allowed to own our ballot box. And right now, of course, they do. Via the two political parties, because those are corporations. And then, of course, mm-hmm. all the other corporations who can donate un- unlimited money uh, through these super PACs. It's all money laundering. As you would think right now, yeah. with everything happening in that stupid White House, with all the corruption and CCP money laundering that's going on, that people might pay more attention to it. But that's, that's me.
10: So like yeah. crazy. No, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. Anybody else want to <clears> – <throat> uh, you in, uh do it now. I mean if we're not gonna not bring out the con- out the conversation here then uh I know I got about sixty seven of you on the phone line here tonight, so uh press number one and uh say what you gotta say if not then uh we'll get ready to wrap up the podcast. Um I, I thought that was important to play I mean you yeah, have to pound this federal reserve system down people's throats because, look, I get lost talking about it too sometimes, you know, uh but you know, We have to understand the banking system. We have to because that's what, what the monopoly, to control the money. It's all about the money. You know? mm-hmm. It's all control, money.
12: That's right. George Soros would be nowhere without his money.
10: <laughs> yeah. All right, real quick here since I'm lining it down. What happened with your show here tonight? What happened?
12: You know, for the life of me, I still can't tell you what happened. I mean I had a minor interruption, and I had to step away for a minute. Somebody was <laughs> ringing my doorbell. <laughs> literally, uh, and, <laughs> and it was kind of funny, and they kept, they wouldn't stop, and I was like, okay, something must be wrong, you know, a neighbor, I don't know what was yeah, going yeah. on, so anyway, so I went and answered the doorbell, and I said, okay, okay, I got it, and then everything was okay, and I came running back to to get back on the, the show, and then I started talking, and I, everything I, from talking to others, I was told, so you heard me say, okay, I'm back, and sorry about yeah, that, yeah, everybody, yeah. everybody heard me come back. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at the queue, and all, all the phone, almost all the callers dropped. Um, I think okay. you were out there at that time. I don't know. Did you get disconnected? Um, I no,
10: some, I never got disconnected.
12: Okay, I don't know, but in, in the actual uh, queue for the calls, which you know, you're looking at yours now, all the calls were yep. dropped. I said, uh, something's going on here, and all the calls are going… And then somewhere in there is where people stopped hearing me. I was talking about October 4th, the FEMA thing. I don't think anybody heard that. Um, and I'm talking, and then all of a sudden, uh, I, in the chat, you were telling me you can't hear me. And then I try to call yeah. back in. It tells me the host is already there. You can't have a second host. So it wasn't hearing me that way.
0: <laughs> and then
12: I, I called back oh, in yeah. on the same using the same phone number. I called in as a guest, and it let, it put me through there so I was able to talk, and I could still push the buttons on the on the queue. And then – but, but <laughs> because of it, somewhere it dropped me off as the host. My number, phone number was actually out there twice. I was actually out wow. twice, once as the host and once as the guest. And it dropped off the host queue, and that's when I pinged out there, can you still hear me? Because I thought maybe something else had happened. And then because okay. of it dropping me off as the host, when it came to um, uh, 9 o'clock, it didn't let me carry over to the extra hour. So I got cut off because I was there as a, as a guest. <laughs> Oh, well. All right, all right. Well, I guess I'm going to get weird, ready to wrap
11: Adam. it up here. I guess
10: I'll play some Ron Paul here at the end uh wrap it up because uh, I don't see anybody else wanting to queue in, so that's fine. Uh, I'll be on tomorrow night at 7 p.m. I'm going to try to make some calls to these politicians live, so we'll do that. That always gets uh, – a good crowd. Maybe I think I'll call some people up and ask them if they know uh, if they accept federal reserve notes. What do you think? <laughs>
12: Perfect. And that's love it. good. <laughs> Sounds good.
10: All right, everybody, take care. I'm gonna play some Ron Paul. Thank you for uh, American Statesman for calling in. Appreciate it. And you know, you'll tune into her show always on Monday nights.
11: All right, take care.
0: Yes. Thank
11: you. What if the American people woke up and understood that the official reasons? for going to war are almost always based on lies and promoted by war propaganda in order to serve special interests. What if we as a nation came to realize that the quest for empire eventually destroys all great nations? What if the American people learned the truth? The FBI has foiled about 17 plots to kill Americans during the past 10 years. What it will not tell you is that there have been 20 foiled plots And of them, three were interrupted by members of the public. The 17 that were interrupted by the feds were created by the feds. Why do we pay the government to trick us into believing it is keeping us safe? What if a government that manipulated us could be fired? What if a government that lacked the true and knowing consent of the governed could be dismissed? What if it were possible to have a real game changer? What if we need a Ron Paul to preserve and protect our freedoms from the government? What if we can make elections matter again? What if you could love your country but hate what the government has done to it? What if sometimes to love your country, you had to alter or abolish the government? What if Jefferson was right? What if that government is best which governs least? What if I'm right? What if the government is wrong? What if it is dangerous to be right when the government is wrong? What if it is better to perish, fighting for freedom, than to live as a slave? What if freedom's greatest hour of danger is now? It's critical that every citizen of this country rise up and do something because the day of reckoning is at hand and time is running out.
12: Unless we do something, um, we're going to get the government that we deserve. How did you let this happen? Wake up out there. You know, it's your children. Don't you care?
11: Uh, what these people are doing to you?
12: There are 200 million adults in this country. Why we are letting them get away with what they are? Why we're not marching in the streets?
11: Do everything in your power
4: to restore freedom and your individuality back to America. Stop being a country run by the institutions for the institutions. Let's go back to we the people, by the people, for the people. You have to stop being scared. We have to stand up and do what's necessary to take back, to stop these bankers, these elite, this government full of lies, congressmen full of liars.
11: And the Federal Reserve, And the fractional banking system, And the Fed, elect Ron Paul, end the war.
4: People should not be afraid of their governments, governments should be afraid of their
5: people. Don't give yourselves to brutes, men who despise you and enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder to these unnatural men, machine men with machine
12: You want to engage in? They have to be throwing you on cattle cars before you start to say, "No, wait a minute,
8: I don't think this is a good idea. How long is it going to be before you finally resist and say, no, I will not comply? Period. That's a different answer for each person. Ask yourself now, because sooner
12: or later, you're going to come to that line, and when they cross it, we're going to say, well, okay, cross this line. Okay, now cross that line. Okay, now cross this line. Please pretty you're
5: in a corner. Sooner or later,
8: you've got to draw a line and stand your ground, whether anybody else does or not. That's is what liberty is all about. I speak to you as a fellow citizen of the United States of America, deeply concerned about the welfare of our beloved country. I am not here to tickle your ears, to entertain you. I will talk to you frankly and honestly. The message I bring is not a happy one, but it is the truth. And time is always on the side of truth. Truth must be repeated again and again, because error is constantly being preached round about. I realize that the bearer of bad news is always unpopular. As a people, we love sweetness and light, especially sweetness. I am sorry to say that all is not well in so-called prosperous, wealthy, and powerful America. We have moved a long way and are now moving further and more rapidly down the soul-destroying roads of socialism. The evidence is clear, shockingly clear, for all to see. With our national prestige at or near an embarrassing all-time low, we continue to weaken our domestic economy by unsound fiscal economic, and foreign aid policies which corrupt our national currency, with the crass unconstitutional usurpation of power by the executive branch of the federal government, anti-spiritual decisions of the Supreme Court, all apparently approved by a weakly submissive rubber-stamp Congress, the days ahead are ominously frightening. It is imperative that American citizens become alerted and informed regarding the threat to our welfare, happiness, and freedom. No American is worthy of citizenship in this great land who refuses to take an active interest in these important matters. Stand up for freedom, no matter what the cost. It can help to save your soul and make your country. May God give us the wisdom to recognize the dangers, the dangers of complacency, the threat to our freedom, and the strength to meet this danger courageously. And then we pray. All right. All right, everybody. I not Take
10: care. God bless the republic.